You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. In the church, we talk about the effective Word of God, which basically, if something is effective, it works. And so we want to drill down a little bit into what this means about the effective Word of God. And we're going to do it by looking again at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. You can turn to page 500 and, uh, I'm sorry, 959 in these Black Pew Bibles. So if you're using a device, 1 Thessalonians comes right after Colossians, or if you're using your own Bible. So we're looking at the letter to the Thessalonians. Um, and especially all three of these sermons that, that I'm doing this summer have to do with God's Word. And especially this morning, looking at God's Word being effective. So what Paul writes, he gives a second Thessal- he gives a second thanksgiving in this letter. And he gives it in chapter 2, verses 13. He says this, We also constantly give thanks to God for this. We as Paul and Silas, Silvanus, and Timothy, who've been chased out of town. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you, believers. Um, very good translation, another very good translation, which is, which is energetically working in you, believers. The word of God, which is energetically working in you, believers. Let's pray before we continue. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the gift of your scriptures. Thank you for the gift of yourself as the living word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to enliven your word, to actively work in us who believe. Uh, Forgive our places of unbelief. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Actively at work. You'll remember um, what's going on here in Thessalonica. That um, if you missed out on the last on where this series started, you can always listen to the podcast or check out online the first sermon on July seventeenth. Um, but Paul has gone to Thessalonica, this Greek city, and a whole bunch of these Gentiles, these non-Jews, have converted uh, away from their idols to worship the living and true God, to worship and serve the living and true God um, in Thessalonica. And and then Paul, they came under immense persecution because of this, a great deal of affliction because of this. And Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave. They had to flee. They had to to run out of town. So Paul is very concerned that the Thessalonians remain rooted. You'll remember perhaps that there are these five discipleship markers that we as a leadership here in the session, the elders and the the pastors, the directors who meet in the leadership team, um, discerned that we want to, when we ask God, okay, so what, what should a disciple of Jesus look like who emerges, who walks out of University Presbyterian Church? There were five markers of this. One of them was being rooted in God's word. Uh, Another is being yielded to God's Spirit. And then out of those two things, rooted in God's Word and yielded to God's Spirit, uh, grow these these three other markers that we have, which is being engaged in mission, um, mentoring and being mentored, learning together, and also being loving community, being in relationship and loving one another as communities. But these first two markers, being rooted in Scripture, yielded to the Holy Spirit, are really essential. And that's what we're looking at. Um, this morning together in Thessalonians. So the Thessalonians were people who were rooted in the gospel as the word of God. Uh, we spoke about this encounter that they had with God. That God's word isn't just a message. And this gospel fluency message that we looked at is how the Thessalonians are, are beloved 
and they're chosen by God, that Paul is absolutely convinced of this. Um, I should mention, by the way, this word for chosen, uh, this is word ekloge, it's very rarely used. It's, it's a narrative word. We know what this word means because of a couple of stories. The story of Abraham and the story of um, Jacob, who was later named Israel. So the Jews, remember, were chosen people because of God's promises to Abraham, because of God's promises to Jacob, who was named Israel. All the Jews who followed were within this circle of God's children. And what Paul has said is, here's good news for all of you Gentiles, you non-Jews. The circle has widened. You are also, in Jesus Christ, beloved and chosen. You're included in this. That was our first sentence in Gospel Fluency. And they know they're included because they're rooted in this encounter with God, in God's word. This is what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 1, is this active encounter with God in God's word. It's, it's the message of Jesus Christ being now the beloved and chosen, the saved in Jesus Christ, and also the spirit. Um, there's a fellow, I think, I've, have I mentioned Bob Eckblatt in a sermon here before? Do you remember? Maybe Tara Nareva in, in, up in Marysville. Is this ringing any bells? Okay, well, anyway, I'll mention it again. Um, so Bob Eckblatt is a director of a ministry called Terra Nueva up north of here in the Skagit Valley. And he works with um, men who are imprisoned. He works with men who have been involved with different drugs and gangs up there. Uh, he works with the migrant community up in the Skagit Valley. He's written a book called Reading the Bible with the Damned. It's a, it's a really fascinating book. And the reason it's titled that is because oftentimes these men believe that they are among the damned. They are among the ones who uh, deserve to feel the wrath of God, which is where the good news that Paul brought to the Thessalonians is you are not among the damned. You have been rescued from wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. So he describes taking the Bible in for these inmates, these prisoners, and he describes in one of his stories these prisoners reading the story of Moses. And, um, and as they read the story of Moses, one of the prisoners pointed out, he said this, his, here's his reflection on who Moses was. Uh, you remember the story where, where Moses, there's a taskmaster, an Egyptian taskmaster, and what does Moses do to this Egyptian taskmaster? Do you remember? He kills him, right? And then what does Moses have to do? He has to run away. He has to run off into the wilderness, right? So he murders a man and he's on the lamp. And this man in prison reading this story reads that and what he says he re suddenly realizes that Moses this great deliverer whom God called and chose for God's purposes was a murderer and this man in prison said you know it was not even an accident he looked this way and that way he hid the body in the sand now when I heard the way that that man in prison heard this story I had to go back and reread the story because I thought, I forgot that that's how that went. That's right. It, it, this is why this sermon series of many voices is happening this summer. Because these different voices come in with God's word, and suddenly we think, well, that's right. Did he say that? Did that happen? And we go back, and we look again. Um, and what Bob Eckblatt believes when he takes the Bible in to encounter these, these men in prison who believe that they are living under the wrath of God, he writes this, quote, People are thirsty for an authentic encounter. In most people, there remains a buried hope that something real may yet happen between them and God. End of quote. That something real may yet happen between them and God. So this is what ha has happened in Thessalonica. 
Here are these, uh, these men and the women who are supposed to have been outside of God's circle of mercy, outside of God's salvation, are told, actually, you have been rescued from God's wrath, and they have turned from idols, they have believed this, they're waiting for Jesus to return and rescue them from wrath. This is, they've had an encounter with this, with this good news that they are now beloved and chosen. And what's essential is that they remain in that gospel as the word of God. I am um, living up in the, here in the U District, a few blocks north, about eight or nine blocks, and um, we moved into a house that had this lawn that just could not live, right? And apparently the people who lived there ahead of us, this is a true story, the lawn would die, they'd rip the whole thing up, throw down new sod, give it a chance to die again, rip it up again, right? This dirt would not let roots go down in it. And so David, my husband, loves to garden. Uh, he retired a year ago, took on a project, ripped up, pickaxed all this dirt, and put in new beds, and now there's this whole garden in front of our house. It's great. He did a wonderful job. But we'll look around looking at this, and there's some plants that, like, they are showy. They look cool. They are just taking off. And then there's just these shrubby things that there's a lot of brown dirt around them, and they're not doing much. Yeah, and I've learned those are perennials. Um, Perennial means it comes back year after year, but it doesn't look like much the first year. Because apparently the rule on a perennial is sleep, creep, leap. Um, isn't that cool? That's sometimes how I feel my life is too, in terms of my faith. Sleep, creep, leap. Uh, but here's what they do. They need a chance to establish their root system. So every time I look at one of these, and trust me, I say this to David all the time, what's wrong with that plant? Um, he'll say, it's just, it needs a chance to establish its root system. That's what's go There's a lot that needs to go on in the ground before it's going to take off, right? You need to realize that when we're reading about conversion in the New Testament, Paul was there probably about three months in Thessalonians. This wasn't a Billy Graham crusade. I love Billy Graham crusades. I'm not knocking them, okay? But, but these believers, they had some time. They had enough time to start to get established in this gospel that their behaviors, what happened above ground after being rooted in this gospel, was... was uh, showy enough, had grown enough that their neighbors were starting to persecute them. So they, their root system was being grown in, this, in the gospel as a word of God. And my question this morning is, okay, so with this, what is essential for our root systems to be grown in the gospel as the word of God? Because how many of us feel like, you know, we can get pretty showy every now and again in our faith, but is it sustainable? How's your energy levels in terms of your discipleship? How's your energy levels? How are our energy levels in a new church in terms, as a church, in terms of starting new things and then finding whether or not they're sustainable? Uh, it's a root system issue. And roots and yielding are essential. And not only that, but what we're rooted in is what's so essential. That sod couldn't work because the dirt was no good. What we're rooted in is essential. And in 2.13, what Paul gives thanks for is that when they received this message of the gospel that they heard from Paul and Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy, they received what they really heard, which was not a human word, but a word of God. So let's unpack that for a moment. Because what Paul compares here is the difference between human speech and divine speech. And so this is the first thing about an effective word of God that's essential, is that the source makes all the difference. The source makes all the difference. You know, um, we're living in a political season right now, right? What's the cliche about politics? Empty promises. You say it like you don't know it. 
Yeah, what do we mean by empty promises? What we mean is, okay, we'll say a lot of things, but whether or not I actually act on it, the source actually gets it done, remains to be seen. We've been watching the Olympics. How many people have been watching the Olympics? You've been watching the Olympics? Love watching the Olympics. The coaches have been front and center for various reasons I won't go into on the Olympics. Uh, but I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the difference between effective and ineffective coaching. How effective words of coaching result in, in the results that are, that, that are supposed to happen when an athlete participates in what those words said. And then there's ineffective uh, coaching, words that can't get you there, right? Um, when we're getting discernment, when we're trying to get direction and advice, you know, bad directions, there can be bad advice, and we just end up in the wrong place. But good advice, good direction gets us to the right place. So all these things like empty promises or ineffective coaching or bad advice, those are what Scripture calls vain words. And Paul, a couple times in Thessalonians, says, hey, our words, our gospel that you gave, we gave you, this ministry, it wasn't vain. It wasn't fruitless. It wasn't ineffective. These aren't empty promises. This isn't bad advice. And you can see why the Thessalonians might think it is, because what's happening to them? Do you remember? They're being afflicted, right? They're in affliction. They're being persecuted. It'd be so easy as a Thessalonian to say, this is not working for me. This is not working for me, right? But something's working for them. Something about God's word is effective. Something about God's word is not an empty promise. Something about God's word is not bad direction. And it's because of the source of this word. The thing to remember about God's word is, remember, it's never a message alone. It's always word and spirit. And we know this from the stories in the Old Testament. Do you remember at, at creation? When, when, at creation, what, what was present at creation? The spirit was hovering over the darkness and God spoke and it came to be the word and the spirit. It, all of life comes from God's word, which is a, a, a speech, a message and spirit together. Abraham, Abraham and Sarah in a barren womb, right? The promise of God, the promise of God and the power of God result in life happening where there was no life before, Paul says in Romans. Exodus, what happens in Exodus? There's a promise of God that the Israelites will be rescued from slavery and the power of God comes together with that promise and they're rescued from slavery. This is what makes a word of God in the Old Testament is that it's the promise of God together with the power of God and things happen. And there's one particular people who were chosen and loved, Ekloge, beloved, chosen and loved to receive this word, to receive this, you know, this word, this promise and this spirit that all of life comes from, that generates life, that recreates life, that makes, that makes order out of the chaos around them. And it's the Jews. And the Lord says to them, you know, here's where I'm planning on going. This is what life looks like. It looks like justice. It looks like mercy. Um, this, it, the Lord says a lot of things. This is what life looks like. And I'm going to give you these commands. I'm going to give you these instructions. And following these commands, these instructions, this is how you participate in where I'm going and what life is going to look like. And you can choose not to participate, and you won't get there. And we know this story, right? What happened? They didn't get there. Because the missing thing in the Old Testament was the Holy Spirit of God on every single person. David, the kings, they were get anointed with the Holy Spirit. Remember what David writes in the Psalms? Do not remove from me the joy of thy salvation, the Holy Spirit. But the remarkable thing for us as a New Testament person, people, is the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out. When God's people could not get there, Jesus, the living word, came, anointed in the Spirit. Look at his speech in, in Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news. Anointed in the Spirit. 
and that living word and the spirit together. And, and, and the poor have good news preached to them. The eyes of the blind are open, the lame are leaping, the deaf can hear, the lepers are healed, the, the, the outcasts, the tax collectors, and the sinners are brought back into the fellowship of God's beloved. All of a sudden, all the promises that God said were going to happen, happen with the word and the spirit together. And once Jesus is, is crucified, the spirit is poured out at Pentecost. That word and that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is poured out at Pentecost on, on, on God's church. And remember when Renee preached and Peter and John reached out their hand and said to the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but that which we have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he stands up and he walks. The word and the spirit together start to recreate the world in the shape of the promise of God. This is the spirit that showed up in Thessalonica along with the message of the gospel and people were recreated in it. The source makes all the difference. Human words cannot generate eternal life. Words with their human words cannot regenerate what is broken. Human words can participate in the regenerate and life regenerating and life-giving word of God but they cannot create it. So the amazing thing about God's word is that this is where the power of all creation, what holds all creation together, is in the word of God, not because it's incantation, not because it's a Harry Potter magic spell, right? But because where this word is, God shows up. It's not, it's not divine, it's not magic, it's divine power. Walk in the way of this word and I'm showing up, Jesus says. Walk in the way of this word and my spirit is showing up. If you want to participate in the way I'm remaking this whole world, go the way my scriptures and my word have revealed. You'll get there. You'll get, I will lead you. We'll get there. This is what it means to be sourced in God's word. So why isn't it working for us? This is my question coming into this sermon. Why isn't it working for us? Does that not work for you? And, and I want you to test this out. We've been talking about discerning the spirits in this sermon series. So, so test this out. But here's what I'm praying and wondering about. Many of us are wondering about how to be rooted in God's word as a congregation, as this congregation here. Um, have wondered about, you know, a certain biblical illiteracy. Do people even know the Bible? And I think there's some truth in that. I think there's a lot of us that don't spend much time in the Bible. We don't know it very well. It's also the case, though, that in the West, we have more access to knowing stuff about the Bible than ever before. It's online, it's on your smartphones, it's on the shelves, if you can find shelves anymore. You know, the word is everywhere. The word is everywhere, and like I spoke about last month, we're not eating. We're hangry. Uh, we're not going after it. And so I looked at what the Thessalonians did and said, how did the Thessalonians participate in this word of God? How is it that they became perennials and not these real showy annuals, right? And so if you look back, if, you're st if your Bible's still open, if not, you can reopen it. That's always an option. Um, it's an, no, that's allowed. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic with you, but it came out that way. Um, on page 959, in case you forgot where we are. So here, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10, this is what happened to the Thessalonians. For the people of these regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you. And here's the key part. To welcome an apostle, by the way, was to welcome the word, to take in the word. So that's what that means. What kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Do you see that? How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. There shouldn't be a comma there. That's all one movement. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And here's what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about how our issue is not a literacy issue. Our issue is a yielding issue. 
They turned away from their idols to serve the living and true God. I was walking across Cowan Park the other day. I was going to, um, to the store. And the, the play structure is like really empty. It's never empty. It's like the rapture or something. And then I realized, oh, wait, I'm still here. And <laughs> how's that for hubris? I'm still, and, um, and it's hot. It's really hot. Nobody's got their kid on that playground at this time of day, except there's one little boy. He's screaming. He's so mad. And he's standing at the edge of the playground, and his dad is like from here to, I don't know, that third pew back. So I don't know how, how many yards is that? Can somebody tell me? 10, 20 yards? Sure, let's call it that, okay? But he's a ways away, probably twice as far away as a mom would have been, let's be honest. <laughs> so dad's over there. I don't know what dad's saying, you know, very patiently to the kid. I can't hear it, but I know what it is because of the kid's response. And as soon as the kid would take his hand out of his mouth when he was screaming and actually talk, what he'd say is, I don't want to leave, right? He's at his playground, he's having fun. Mind you, he's totally overheated, and he's probably going to get heat stroke any minute, but he doesn't want to leave. <laughs> And dads, you know, and I'm thinking as I walk by, I thought, this does not seem like an effective word, right? This is not working because this kid isn't coming with dad, right? And then I started reflecting on that a little bit more. And I thought, Lori, you are like that kid so often with God. But God has given what really is an effective word. If the kid goes with dad, right, there's water, there's safety, there's restoration, uh, no longer, they're not, he's not exposed anymore. Uh, everything will happen that has been promised, but he's got to go. He's got to lead. He's got to follow. He's got to participate. And it seems to me that part of why we're not rooted in scripture is we refuse to participate. We've got a yielding problem. Uh, we might, we maybe want to turn and just do what God told us to do, but we haven't yielded in the meantime to the Spirit. It seems to me that very often in the West, we forget what is central to the gospel, what was obvious to folks here, but we forget it now, that we're not God. We're not God. The Thessalonians knew they were either serving these gods or they were serving the God of, of the living and true God. They were under no illusion that, that they weren't serving someone or something. But in the West, we live as if, you know, we're, we're not serving anything. We're just self-serving. And we're over here in our self-serving playgrounds. And we have things that we invest in because we think, this, this thing works for me. This thing gives me comfort. Uh, this thing works for me. This thing makes me feel safe. Uh, this thing works for me. And we don't want to leave this thing that works for me and take, take a risk in, in serving and yielding and submitting to, to what God calls us to in the scriptures, to the living and true God, because these things don't seem like they work. And we're not new in this. Do you remember the disciples? I mean, Jesus called them to crazy stuff, to forgive over and over again. And Peter came to Jesus and said, that doesn't work for me. I mean, how many times do I actually have to do that, right? 70 times 7? Is that enough? You can see Peter keeping a punch card on the other disciples, right? I'm pretty sure John had a lot of things on the punch card. Um, that doesn't work for me. Jesus talked about not getting divorced. You know what the disciples said? They all said, that's impossible. That doesn't work for us. Do you remember this? Jesus talked about carrying your cross and, and giving away. You know, you, you, the rich young man giving everything away. And the disciples said, that's impossible. Who can be saved? It doesn't work for us. And they were right. They were right. It doesn't work for you. But what is impossible by human effort, what is impossible from your own resourcing, what is impossible for human effort is possible for God. And here, brothers and sisters, is where we begin to recognize again what the gospel actually is. 
Because any message that claims to be the gospel that you could walk out and pretty much do by human effort, it works for you. I read this book, or I hear this sermon, or I do this Bible study, and whatever I'm being asked to apply, it, it works for me. I could do that. It's possible. You haven't heard the gospel. I guarantee you it's not the full gospel if it leaves you on your human effort. But these places were the impossible words of Jesus Christ, the impossible words of God. The, the words of Scripture, where when we're reading it, we say, boy, it doesn't work for me. But God says, follow me, come with me. Where we get ourselves in a position where we need to yield and trust that God's Holy Spirit will show up and bring a life we cannot create, there you found the gospel. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.